0: toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. On October 30th of last year, our friend Lisa Haas went in for a routine mammogram and a very concerning mass was found. She was getting ready to leave for Lebanon and so she was going to be gone for uh, a week or so. So doctors said, soon as you come back, we will do a biopsy and we'll we'll look into this. And so one month after she had her routine mammogram, she got the results of that, which said that she has breast cancer. Some of you heard her share about that a a few weeks ago. So it wasn't just breast cancer, though. It was an invasive and very aggressive breast cancer. And so the the only positive news in all of it was that they discovered it in stage 1 which the doctor said is unusual for this type of cancer usually they don't discover it until later and the doctor told her that if she had if it had been discovered just 2 months later like it would have changed the whole game like it's it's that significant it's that aggressive and so She's undergoing chemo. She has a greater than 95% or 93% chance of that being healed and, and moving on with her life. And we're trusting the Lord to fill in that other 7% and make it 100% because we love Lisa and we want her around as long as she possibly can be here. Imagine, imagine that that routine screening did not happen. Or imagine that Lisa went in and got the results and the diagnosis from that screening, and she ignored the results. Imagine what the results would have been. This morning we're gonna talk about a universal diagnosis of a spiritual disease that affects every single one of us. So whether you're new, Uh, maybe you're joining us for the first time, this this disease affects you. Whether you've been at Grace Point for decades or walking with Jesus for decades, this spiritual disease affects you. And undergoing the scan is unpleasant. And getting the, the bad news diagnosis is really hard to hear. But if we ignore it, it leads to spiritual death. If we pay attention to it, and if we receive God's treatment for our disease, it leads to healing, and it leads to life that is better than we've ever experienced and can imagine. We're gonna hear that diagnosis here this morning. If you would take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter two, three, where are we? I was out last week, sorry. We're in three, okay, that's where we are. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, it's on page 1041. This is interesting. So you know that the chapters and the verses were inserted many years after. So I'm really just thinking through the argument of Romans and it's like, oh yeah, what chapter is that? It really doesn't matter, but it helps us to find where where we're at so we can all be at the same place. We're in a series studying through the the letter to the Romans and as Joan alluded to, we're in week five of five weeks of bad news and I know this has been heavy for, for several weeks. If Romans, if the book of Romans were a symphony, then we've been in for a little while here a tense, minor key, kind of bombastic part of, of the symphony, and we're getting ready to get to the crescendo of that, all right? So we're, we're going to start in verse 9 this morning. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. All right, we need to pause there and we need to talk about sin for for just a moment. I mean, whenever we talk about this, I always need to point out that sin is not a popular concept in our culture today because the idea of sin implies that there is some kind of moral authority outside of us that determines what is right and wrong. Our culture really doesn't like that. We like to determine individually what is right and wrong. I'll just decide what is right and wrong for myself. There's really a huge problem with that. I mean, the, 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 the reality, the existential problem with that is that we have a creator, and if there is a creator who's bigger than us, then he, has, he alone has the right to decide what is right and wrong. But the, the more practical idea that's wrong with us deciding on our own what's right and wrong. Is that we we just don't have the ability to do that very well. I mean, we we have officials in world championship games that can't even decide what's right and wrong between a penalty call. You know, I mean, that's that's where we're at. But much much more seriously than that, I, I was listening to a testimony this past week from a man named David Wood who grew up and and was diagnosed as a sociopath. He had no conscience, had had no ability, he had no sense of any kind of right and wrong to the point where he went one night with a mallet and beat his dad in the head to, to kill him. Fortunately, his dad survived. But are we gonna let David Wood decide what's right and wrong? And, and if we don't, and, and God has transformed his life miraculously, praise the Lord. So it was a, it was a great testimony. But are we going to let a sociopath decide what's right and wrong? And if, we, if we're not, if we're going to draw the line there and say, well, no, that's too far, then where does the line come? How do we as human beings have any ability to be able to draw those lines of right and wrong. We need somebody outside of our fallenness and our brokenness to be able to do that and to define what sin is. And so Paul says in verse nine, all are under sin. Jews and non-Jews, this is the great divide of, of people in, in scripture is the, the people who are known as the Jewish people who are God's chosen people and then everybody else, those who were, were not chosen. We need a little history to, to really appreciate that. In Genesis chapter 12, God called a man named Abraham to, to father a nation, a nation that would be his, his chosen people, the Jewish people. God revealed himself to those people and through them in some really substantial and unique ways. One of the ways he revealed himself through them and to them was through a miraculous deliverance from slavery in Egypt. He brought them out and he then formed a new nation of people who had never governed themselves. All they had known was slavery to another to the to the Egyptians. And so now they're here and it's like how are they going to govern themselves? Well, God revealed himself in another unique and phenomenal way in giving them a law. He established, he said this is how you live together. This is how you form a society. And in so doing, God gave the world an amazing gift that has impacted incalculably Every society in in our world, he he introduced to us the the idea of the rule of law. So prior to that time, it was the rule of whoever was in charge, whoever happened to be the, the king, and then they had their child, and then they became the king, and so on and so forth, and they decided what was right and wrong. They decided, and so you as a peasant person under this king had to just try to keep up with what's, what's new now? What's the king want it to be right and wrong now? And so it was all centered in a person. And for the first time, with God giving the law to his people, he said, no, it's not a person who is in charge, it's, you're, you're all gonna be under a law that no and no person is above that law. Everyone will be subject to it. This was an incredible privilege of the Jewish people, that they were the conduit of this to the world, and it has lasted down to this day and impacts us every day. So so Jewish people, because of this, have, have understandably had somewhat of a superiority complex over, over the centuries. They're like, we're, we're special. They are. They, they were chosen and given these remarkable Privileges, And so as Paul deals with this question of our standing before God and how are we in relationship with God, it would make sense if a Jewish person thought, I've probably got a special, I've probably got some special privilege there too. I've probably got, you know, God's going to handle me differently than everybody else. But Paul here in these opening chapters of Romans is making a case for Universal condemnation, the condemnation that everyone falls under God's judgment. And so he starts in Romans 1 with the non-chosen people, with the, the Gentiles, the, the Greeks. That, that all happens from chapter 1, 19 through the end of that chapter. The, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, they don't know the true God they, they don't have his law. They exchanged the idea of a true God for a substitute God. And their conduct was polluted as a result. We, we would expect that. That's natural. I mean, if people don't know God, how are they ever gonna possibly live up to his expectations? But then a surprise comes in chapter two because Paul condemns the Jewish people who know God. They know the, the true God. They have his law. The problem is they just don't follow, can't follow his law perfectly. They follow it a whole lot better than a lot of the the non-Jewish people, but they still can't, can't follow it perfectly. And so the conclusion we see here in verse nine is that we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. What comes next? is a rapid fire list of Old Testament scripture quotations with one repeated theme. So see if you can pick up that theme as we read, and I just gave you a a hint in introducing it, all right? Uh, Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. What theme are you picking up? No one, no one measures up. Doesn't matter if you're Jewish, doesn't matter what your heritage is, what your background is, how well you know God, how well you don't know God, no one measures up to God's perfect standard. And so he starts with this universal statement of of universal condemnation. Then he goes into body parts. He starts describing the sin that people do with their body parts. And I've said this before by way of reminder, every sin we commit is committed with some body part. Even if it's a sin in our mind, a sin of our thoughts, that's using our brain. So everything comes down to our body parts. He goes into some of them in verse 13. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. I think he spends so much time here on our words because that's such a really easy place for us to sin. And then verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. I I told you when we started into the bad news several weeks ago, if you were here, Paul, Paul is out to strip every shred of hope that you and I have of measuring up to God's standards on our own of measuring up to God's requirements to live right. He's he's painting a picture here of God's courtroom. Um, And now he's drawing his case to a summary and a conclusion. And that's what we have in the last two verses we're looking at here this morning, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Every member of humanity stands before God, the judge, as a defendant. We stand there as a defendant, and we love to defend ourselves. The the, the very first time sin is called out in Genesis chapter 3, the, the instinctual knee-jerk response is, it's not my fault, it was their fault. Start pointing the finger at someone else. We love to defend ourselves, but Paul says in verse 19, he says, the law speaks over us, condemnation, so that every mouth may be stopped. Our mouths must be stopped from defending ourselves. In ancient courts, Sometimes someone would, it, when someone's giving their defense, sometimes the official would just go up and slap the person on the mouth by way of saying, you have no defense, quit trying, you're, you're guilty. This actually happened to, to Jesus. You may remember in, in John chapter 18, when he was on trial, of course, he was not guilty, but they didn't wanna hear what he had to say, and so he was struck on the mouth. Paul himself was struck on the mouth in Acts chapter uh, 23. And so the the idea here is to stop your mouth. Stop your stop trying to defend yourself. You have no defense. And then he says in verse 19 that the whole world may be held accountable to God. Each one of us is liable to punishment. We are due punishment. We are guilty. And then in verse 20, he says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. There are no exceptions. No one is made right with God by doing the right thing. No one is made right with God by doing the right thing. I wanna, I'm gonna keep reminding you of the definition of the word justified, the concept of justified. It it means to be right with God legally and relationally. So so think of someone, if you would, right now, think think about someone in your life that you are kind of out of sorts with. Maybe you're having a, a real conflict with someone and if you were to be with that person this afternoon, maybe they were to show up in your living room and you were to sit across from them, there would be tension. There's an elephant in the room. There's a cloud over you guys. There's something that needs to be made right. So maybe there is a even a legal aspect to, to what needs to be made right. Maybe something got broken and needs to, it needs to be rest, uh, reparation, restoration. Maybe they need to pay for something to, to make that right. Um, but but there's something relationally wrong too that needs to be made right. You and I are are born into this world by default. You and I are not right with God. We have a legal problem, and we have a relational problem. We need reconciliation. This, this, And so this is in contrast, again, to the, the concept of our culture that has the idea that um, I'm basically a good person. So there's a lot of people that believe I'm basically, I'm born good, and then I get polluted by this broken world. I mean, there's all kinds of bad stuff happening. People do bad stuff to me. And then if there's anything bad that I end up doing, it's because I got polluted, because I started out good. I mean, the Bible's concept, the the scriptural concept is the inverse of that. We don't start out pure and we get polluted by the world. We start out polluted. We start out with a predisposition. We are born not by our choice, but we are born into this world with a predisposition to be rebellious to God. And so then we, we choose out of that predisposition to act on it and to be Rebellious. And so people aren't made broken by the world. The world is made broken by the brokenness of people who are born into the world. There's a theological term called total depravity. Total depravity, sometimes people hear that term and they think it means someone is as bad as they could possibly be. And, and then we just dismiss it because we're like, well, I'm, I'm not, I, I could be much worse, and I could be as bad as this person over here. That's not what, theologi- that's not what um, total depravity refers to. Total depravity means that every aspect of our being has been adversely affected by sin and the curse of sin. So every aspect of who we are, how we think, how we do, how we interpret other people's actions, how we feel, I mean, everything is adversely, there is a totality that has been affected by depravity. We're born that way. And so God says no one is made right with him by doing right, because we start off actually wrong. It doesn't matter if you're better than somebody else. God does not grade on a curve. He doesn't say, I'm going to let the top 50% into eternity. You know, if, you're, if you just fall in that top 50%, I'll, I'll let you in. The entrance exam to eternity with God is not that you pass with an 80% or a 99%. We, we can't pass the exam on our own. To, I, I just need to underscore this before we move on from from this passage and and show you that in these verses we read, starting in verse ten, he says, No one, five times, <laughs> no one understands, no one seeks for God in in verse nine, he says, All, all are under sin." In verse nineteen He says that every mouth may be stopped. In verse 20, that no human being will be justified by doing the right things, even works of the law, even trying to do the things that God said is right. Nobody is gonna be justified by that. No one is made right with God by doing the right thing. Paul underscored this. In his letter to the Galatians, which was written before Romans, it's kind of like he was starting to formulate some of his ideas in Galatians, and then Romans becomes like a a massive um, delving into it more deeply. So Romans comes earlier, but he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul, wow, you're like really repeating yourself here. It's like you're trying to get something through to us. Later in Galatians, in Galatians 3, he says, now it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith. I hope you recognize that line there if you've been here over the last couple of weeks. I hope you recognize it because it's the exact same quotation that we have in Romans 1:17 which we are translating uh, from the Greek the one who by faith is righteous shall live. It is the one who by faith is righteous not by effort, not by trying to work for it, not by trying to earn it, this is the one who by faith is righteous, who shall live. This is the one, if, if nothing else, out of Romans, I hope you'll memorize this. So I'm gonna help you with this again. We're gonna do our little quiz. If you weren't here before, you, you can do this for the first time. We're gonna drop some words out here and I want you to fill them in, all right? The one who by thank you, is righteous, shall live. Let's drop another one out. The one who by Is righteous shall. And do we have one more? We don't. Oh, I meant to do another one. Oh, well, we'll do that next week. All right. Paul says no one, no one has a defense before God on the basis of their performance. That is bad news for anyone who has been relying on their performance. And I suspect there's a lot of people, I I said this in an earlier message a few weeks ago, I suspect there's a lot of people in Bucks County in our culture who we've learned how to, to play the game and do the performance. We've learned how to get the grades that we need to get so we can move forward. We've learned how to get the job that we need to get so that we can be successful, how to get the promotion that we need to get. We've learned how to perform and anything you've learned about performance in your life will not be applicable in your relationship with God because no one is made right with God by doing the right thing. It's not how it works. It's not how he set up. We're incapable of it in the first place, but it's not the way God designed it to work. All right, Let's talk. Okay, we've been doing bad news now for, for five weeks. I'm sure we're all probably tired of that by now. Some of you are saying, Dave, come on already. Let's have some comfort from the Psalms. Yeah, let's, let's talk about peace. Let's talk about God's peace. Let's talk about rest. Let, let me just say something to you, just taking a step back from what we've, we've been studying and looking at all this bad news If you accept the comfort of Scripture, but you reject the correction of Scripture, you will never be spiritually healthy. If you cherry-pick the passages that you read, and you only look for passages that make you feel better and warm and fuzzy, and you push, push away all the passages that are harsh and that show that God is a God who has standards for us and he calls us to certain ways to live, and if, if you push all of that stuff out and say, I, I don't wanna hear any of that, you, you're gonna be a really lopsided believer. You're, you're going to be the equivalent of somebody that just eats a whole lot and never exercises. You're you're not going to be healthy, and that is not just going to show up on on the outside. It's going to be what's happening on the inside that only gets shown with a scan. Which is why we we read the scriptures and we read all of it. I mean, said said a different way, if you are only willing to listen to the positive parts of your doctor's report. Like when you go in and they take your temperature at the beginning and they say, oh, good, your temperature is normal. And then you get to the results of that test you had that, you, that aren't quite so positive. What, what if Lisa had walked out that day and, and said to her husband on the way home, well, at least my temperature was normal. Let's just focus on that. The result is death the result of ignoring God's diagnosis of us that is sometimes hard to hear is death. But if we receive it, and if we receive the treatment that God provides for us, it leads to healing, it leads to life. See, Paul is giving us a diagnosis here. And to switch the metaphors back, he, he is Conducting a trial before the trial, if you will. Because there will be a final judgment when we stand before God, and believe me, you, when we stand that day, our mouth will be stopped. We will have nothing to say. And the whole world will stand condemned based on our performance that day. That's a final judgment that's coming. But Paul says, if you will Listen now, and if you will accept that you have you are not guilty now, then there is a solution for that problem. And if you are made right with God now, legally, relationally, then there's no fear for the judgment to come. That final judgment will be a cakewalk because we will stand before him and we'll say, I have nothing to bring, but I hide myself in Jesus Christ. Getting right with God begins with what we read here in verse 19, that every mouth may be stopped. So here's how you get ready to be right with God. Stop your mouth. Quit rehearsing your defenses. Quit telling God, but I think I'm good enough. Just plead guilty already. And then secondly, Submit to his accountability, that the whole world may be accountable to God. Come to God and say, God, your judgment is just. Your judgment is right. Your judgment of me is just. And then, then we're positioned to receive the good news. Then we're positioned to receive the the treatment for our disease, that is the path to life. And I can't wait for us to delve into that next week. <clears throat> I'm tempted to skip ahead again, but I'm not going to. I'm going to end instead with Jesus in Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden. So, all All of you who have been working so hard to try to measure up and hope that you've done enough to make God happy with you. He says, come to me, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Throw off the yoke of trying to do it yourself and take my yoke on you for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you are feeling burdened by the requirements that God places on you, it's because you have not come to understand the provision that he's made for you, that Jesus has done it for you, and now you get to rest in what he's provided. So quit trying, start trusting. We'll unpack that a whole lot more next week. Father, we thank you for shooting straight with us, for not being soft with us, not winking at our sin and turning the, the other way, uh, because we don't, we don't need a world where you wink at sin and allow it to continue. We are looking forward. We, we know that you're in a process, actually, of purging the world of sin. It, it began, I mean, Jesus' sacrifice, was the climactic event in what you are doing to to make the world right again. Each of us individually on an individual level and you're working to make the all of creation right again and in order for that to be the case, you have to purge all of the sin out of the way. So thanks, Lord, for not winking at it, not tolerating it. Lord, thanks for not tolerating it in us. You wanna set us free from the damage and the disease and the the exhaustion of carrying sin in our lives. Lord, thank you that you wanna do that in each person's life in this room. If there's anybody in this room watching us online here this morning that hasn't experienced that release of freedom, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work in their heart right now, this minute, to help them realize that they are indeed included in this universal condemnation that no one, no one is made right with you by trying harder, but that we're only made right by coming to Jesus and finding our rest. Lord, may may you stir in hearts today to come to you. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.